Paul argues, if God was done with the nation of Israel, then I would not be a Christian. But Paul says, listen, I am a Christian and I'm Jewish. And so he writes here in the second half of verse one, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Hello, and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy. Dr. Brogy is senior pastor at Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. We are in the 11th chapter of the book of Romans, in which the Apostle Paul will show that despite Israel's rejection of Jesus Christ as their Messiah, God has not rejected Israel. And as a matter of fact, we will see that one day, Israel will indeed return to God. The title of today's lesson is, Has God Abandoned Israel? Take your Bibles this morning. Would you turn to Romans chapter 11? I hope you bring your Bible to church. I promise you'll get 50% more out of any sermon I preach if you have a copy of the scripture in your lap. And please use your Bible. Don't depend on your neighbor's Bible. You don't need it off of their plate at home and neither should you hear. And if you don't have one, come and get one at a meet the pastor meeting. And don't be afraid to mark it up. We don't worship the printed page. We worship the God who gave us his word. Now, if you're here for the first time, we've been working our way through Romans chapter by chapter. And today we're in the 11th chapter, a very, very important chapter as it relates to Israel and the subject of prophecy. So we're going to be here for a few weeks. But before we dig into our passage this morning, I would like to ask you a question. Frederick the Great, who served as the king of Prussia from 1740 to 1786, modern day Germany and Poland, he, when he was a ruling monarch, was greatly influenced by Voltaire, a philosopher and atheist of his day. And he became somewhat skeptical of Christianity and the Bible. And so he asked his court chaplain this question. He said, if the Bible is really true, then it ought to be capable of proving itself. If it indeed is from God, you should be able to demonstrate that fact simply without a complicated argument. So give me a proof for the inspiration of the Bible in one single word. Now, if you were that chaplain, how would you have responded? And after a moment or two, he thought, and the chaplain thought of one word that would prove the divine and unique inspiration of the Holy Scripture. And he said, your majesty, I can give you that proof in one word. He said, what is the magic word that you have for me? And he said, Israel. Israel. And to which Frederick the Great was silent. Now think about that for a moment. It was really a brilliant answer. Israel has been a nation for some 4,000 years, and we've been studying when they started, why they started, and by whom they were started. And of course, they have detailed records of both their ancient and current history. Israel's language remains the same, as well as her religion, her traditions, her homeland, and even her bloodline. And the Hebrew people still follow the Old Testament, most of them. And if you don't know Israel's history, the fact that it has existed for many millennia might not be a big deal to you. But to read and to study their history, it's absolutely astonishing. No nation in the history of humanity has been more persecuted, more robbed, more deported, more murdered, more hated than the Jewish people. 
The time of the Gentiles, as the prophet predicted, began in 722 BC when Assyria, just as God had foretold, came down and carried away the northern kingdom. Some years later, God came down again through a different people, the Babylonians who'd overthrown the Assyrians, totally decimated Jerusalem and carried the people away a second time. But like homing pigeons from 538 to 432 BC, they came back in three returns. But once again, just as Jesus had prophesied in 70 AD, the Roman general Titus Vespucian came down and destroyed the city once again. And for the next 1,800 years, they were scattered throughout Europe and Asia. And their city became the backdrop of conflicts led by the Turks and the Muslims and different Western powers. Hitler came on the scene and annihilated some 6 million Jews. But in 1948, the Zionist movement took hold and they were once again established as a nation. And so a day can virtually, a day cannot virtually pass without Israel being somehow in the center and forefront of the news. Even without the modern developments, the king of Prussia knew that that was a remarkable answer. Because in many ways, it was really a proof that God does indeed keep his word. I mean, think about it. Where are the Assyrians? Where are the Perizzites? Where are the Hittites? Where are the Amalekites? Where are the Jebusites? Where are all those other nations? They have been gone for millennia. No other nation in the history of the world has survived the way Israel has survived. Why? Because God made an eternal, unconditional covenant with those people. God appeared as the angel of the Lord in Judges chapter 2, and he said this, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers, and I said I will never break my covenant with you. God put his words in the mouth of the prophet Jeremiah, and we read, Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea, so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel will also cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out below, then I will also cast off the offspring of Israel for all they have done, declares the Lord. And so the power that God displayed in creating the universe is the same power Jeremiah says that God uses in preserving Israel. In other words, until the universe is mapped out and the center of the earth is explored, God will preserve Israel as a nation. And so every time you pick up the newspaper, every time you turn on your news, every time you look on the internet, there's a word about Israel. Now, when I go to Israel, I actually feel safer in Israel, Iron Dome or no Iron Dome, than I do in America. Why? Because God said he would preserve them as a nation. Now, the king's chaplain, I suppose, could have used another word. He could have said prophecy, but instead he gave a specific example of prophecy, Israel. So you can see there on your note-taking outline, the topic this morning is, has God abandoned Israel? 
And this is an important question to ask and answer that Paul answers for those people in the first century. But all Scripture is inspired for God, from God. All Scripture is profitable. These things were written for us who live at the end of the age. And God wants us in the 21st century to understand the significance of Israel. Now remember, the Israelites did not just kill the prophets, they killed the prophet. They did not just reject the messengers, they rejected the Messiah. And so some would conclude, surely God must be done with them. And people in the history of the church have come to that conclusion. Augustine, Calvin, Luther, they said Israel has gone too far. God no longer has them as his people. So God wants you to understand today that He is the everlasting God, and when He makes an everlasting promise, He will indeed keep it. Let's read our text, follow along, Romans chapter 11. We're going to cover this morning the first 10 verses. I say then, God has not rejected His people, has He? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Or do you not know what the Scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way then, There has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. What then? What Israel is seeking, it is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it, and the rest were hardened. Just as it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not and ears to hear not, down to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a retribution to them. Let their eyes be darkened to see not and bend their backs forever. Now let's stop and pause for a moment and set the context because critical to understanding these verses is to understand the context. I hope by now you know the letter divides into three sections. The doctrinal section is in chapters 1 through 8. The national section, which we're in today, is chapters 9 through 11. The national section deals with the nation of Israel, a name given to them after Isaac's son, Jacob, whom God renamed Israel. In Romans 9, God tells us of some promises that He made to Israel. And he reminds us that he elected Israel out of all the nations of the earth. But God has temporarily laid aside the people of Israel. God's not done with them, as the 11th chapter is going to highlight. He's just temporarily laid them aside. And so hopefully by now you have written over the top of chapter 9, Israel's past election. How God chose Israel out of all the nations of the world. That's the focus, not individual election, but national election in the ninth chapter. How God chose Israel to bring the Messiah. And of course, the Lord Jesus in his humanity was a Jew. Then you should have written over the 10th chapter, Israel's current rejection or Israel's present rejection. When Jesus left heaven and he stepped onto the scene, tens of thousands of Jews embraced him as Lord, but millions rejected him. So John can say he came to his own, but his own received him not. And he told us why in the 10th chapter. 
It's the same reason why millions of Jews today reject him. And it's the same reason why millions of Gentiles reject him. They wanted a Messiah who would not be a suffering servant, but a sovereign ruler. And both pictures are given of the Messiah in the Old Testament, but his ministry as sovereign ruler will not happen until he comes a second time. And so they wanted a Messiah who would overthrow Rome, not one who would die for their sin because they saw themselves as okay. They were self-righteous. Over the 11th chapter, you should have written Israel's future restoration. And so if you want to know what God is doing in the world, look at Israel. We're going to learn in this chapter that God will ultimately culminate human history through the Jewish people. So you do not want to miss a single message. Today is introductory. Israel is the only nation in the history of the world with a complete history. Its past election, its present rejection, its future restoration are all spelled out here in the national section. So in chapter 9, we have Israel's past. In chapter 10, Israel's current state. And in the 11th chapter, Israel's future. And we're going to see in this chapter that Israel is critical to Bible prophecy. That just as God used them the first time to bring about the coming of His Son into the world, He is going to use them once again to bring about Christ's return. So here in the national section, Paul is answering questions like, what does it mean that Israel missed their Messiah? What does this say about God? What does this say about Israel? What does it say about us Gentiles who are not Jewish? And those are important questions, not just as they relate to the Jewish people, but as they relate to us as Gentiles. Among other questions, Paul is answering issues like, well, how can I really be sure that my salvation is secure? God said he would love Israel with an everlasting love, but it appears that God has abandoned Israel. What do you mean nothing shall separate us from the love of God? And so God's righteousness is proved, it's vindicated here in the, um, in the 9th through 11th chapter. So this section is very, very important because it keys off of the end of chapter 8 that nothing can separate us from God's love. This is not some parenthesis in the argument of Romans. This is a continuation of God's grace and how he secures us by that grace. Now that's the broader context. Let's look at the immediate context. Let me begin today by giving you an overview of the 11th chapter. And by the way, by the time we're done with this chapter, some of you are never going to read the newspaper again in the same way. The only people who can really understand current events as they need to be understood are those born-again Christians who have read their Bible in what God says about the people of Israel. And this is very important too as it relates to Gentiles because 99.999% of us here today are Gentiles and we are not Jewish. But remember, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. And so while he is principally speaking of the people of Israel, there is profit because most of the people who were reading Romans 9 through 11 were not Jews, but Gentiles. So this chapter, if you read it and reread it, it becomes very apparent that it divides into two sections. And each section is separated by a question. The first half is introduced in verse 1. I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. And so verses 1 through 10, the Apostle Paul will show us that God has not rejected his people because if he had, there would be no Jews who would be for Jesus. 
And yet there were tens of thousands of believing Jews in his day as in our day. Now, that may sound like a contradiction of terms to you to say that a Jew could be a Christian. But remember, principally in the Bible, ethnically, when God uses the term Jew, he's referring to those who've descended from Abraham. So you can be a Jew for Jesus. You can be a Christian Jew. You don't give up your Jewishness when you believe on the Lord Jesus any more than you give up the ethnicity that you were born with. And so verses 1 through 10 give us proof positive that God has not cast off his people as seen in the Jewish Christians. The second division of the book of this chapter begins in verse 11, again with a question. I say then, they did not stumble so as to fall, did they? The Net Bible renders it. I asked then, they did not stumble into an irrevocable fall, did they? Another translation says, again, I asked, did they stumble so as to fall beyond recovery? And in typical Pauline fashion, he simply says, may it never be. And so through verse, from verse 11 all the way to the end of the chapter, he proves that their fall was not an irrevocable fall. And he will show that their unbelief is only temporary and there is coming a day when not a small minority, but the vast majority, millions upon millions of Jews will confess that Jesus is their Lord and their Christ. So that's chapter 11 as we will dig into it. Now this morning... I want you to think about this question, has God abandoned Israel? And of course, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. And to help us to see that, the Apostle Paul gives us four proofs, four evidences to show that God has not abandoned his people, Israel. Proof number one, the personal proof that God has not abandoned Israel. He begins with personal proof. Look again now at verse one. I say then, they did not stumble, meaning the Jews, so as to fall, did they? Paul's answer simply is, meganoita. We've seen that word before. May it never be. It's a very emotional phrase, and so different translations render it differently. Absolutely not. Of course not. Another says, not at all. By no means. Perish the thought. Don't be ridiculous. The Phillips translation in the 1950s, a paraphrase said, what a ghastly thought. If my dad were alive today and he were rendering it, he would say, don't even think about it. (laughs) You might want to draw here on your outline a circle, large enough to put another circle in it, and label this outside circle Israel. Let that stand for the nation of Israel, for every man, woman, boy, or girl who has ever descended from the loins of Abraham. And then draw another circle in that circle and write over it or in it the word remnant. And let that represent those Jews who are truly saved. Now, out of the vast nation, there are certain Jews within the nation, as verse 5 will indicate, who are a remnant of believing Jews. That was true in Elijah's day, that was true in Paul's day, and it is certainly true in our day. And so Paul basically is asking here in verse 1, has God cast away the nation? Has God cast away the big circle? Has God permanently rid himself of the Hebrew people as his chosen people? Is God finished with them as a nation? And his answer is, may it never be. Now, someone might ask, well, if God has not rejected Israel, then why are so many Jews 
in unbelief. Why have they rejected him? Why do you find so few Jews today in the body of Christ? We look around this congregation. Where are the Jewish believers? In fact, let me ask you a question. Is, are there any Jewish believers here today? If there's any Jewish believer, would you stand up? Not one. Not one in this service. Not a single one. Does that mean that God is done with the people of Israel? May it never be. Now, of course, for the Apostle Paul, a simple no is not sufficient. So he begins with four proofs, first with himself. Paul argues, if God was done with the nation of Israel, then I would not be a Christian. But Paul says, listen, I am a Christian and I'm Jewish. And so he writes here in the second half of verse one, for I too am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. Listen, he has already documented from the Old Testament that by nature, all of us are spiritually dead. And so he said in Romans 3.11, there is none who seeks God, not even one. Well, if there's none who seeks God, not even one, then God must take the initiative. The first step must come from God. God has to first initiate with you. He must put the spark of interest. He must open your spiritual eyes so that you would want to know Christ. And so if the Jews, like Gentiles by nature, for everyone who is descended from Adam is spiritually dead, and if God had totally abandoned the Jewish people, then there would be no Jewish people who were Jews for Jesus. But Paul says, look at me. And of course, when you think of him and his conversion, it's absolutely remarkable. You read his letters and you say, oh, he'd be a great guy to have dinner with and discuss theology with. Seems like a delightful man. But of course, that's not how the early church initially thought of him. Saul of Tarsus, the name just made people shudder. When Luke describes him, he said, now Saul still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. You met him in a dark alley, you'd run as fast as you could in the opposite direction. But he is a trophy of the grace of God that God can save anyone in any condition. Remember, here was a man who had a bitter hatred for Christians. He tortured some, he imprisoned some, and he was responsible for the death of dozens and dozens of Christians. And yet God saved him. And when, of course, he is finally saved, the early church doesn't even trust him. They think this is some feigned conversion. He just wants to get on the inside track so he can take out some more Christians. And of course, it's not until the son of encouragement named Barnabas, which is what his name means, where he steps in and he defends Paul that he's given a church a chance for service. So the first piece of evidence that Paul gives is personal evidence. I am proof positive, I am personal proof that God has not abandoned Israel. But there's a second piece of evidence he wants you to see, and it's theological proof, theological proof that God has not abandoned Israel. Look now at the first half of verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Now there's that word foreknew again. You might want to turn back a page or two or just listen carefully. If you remember, we saw it first in Romans 8 in verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of, of his son, that he, his son, might have first place among many brethren. And so the subject of election, or as it's popularly called, divine predestination, is an important biblical doctrine. 
Every true Bible-believing Christian believes in the doctrine of election. The question, though, is what do you mean by election? You're going to see words like foreknew and elect and predestined throughout Scripture. Those are good words. God gave us those words. The issue is the definitions that some people pour into those words. Now, if you remember, there's a certain group of people named after John Calvin, we call them Calvinists, who say that when God created you, he either created you and elected you for salvation or created or elected you for damnation. And so when they see the word foreknew in Romans 8.29 or in our text this morning, they say it means to choose. And so they would understand Romans 8.29 in this sense. Those whom God foreknew or chose or selected or elected will be saved. These are the ones that God has ultimately predestined to become like his son. Now, we saw that the focus of the ninth chapter is not personal election, but national election. But because they start with the theological presupposition that the church is the new Israel, that there's no significance for Israel, and the reform movement today, that's the essence of what they believe. And so one leading Christian recently said that there's no difference between Uganda or Israel in God's mind. Well, there is a difference. There's a big difference. And so the Calvinist sees personal election in view rather than national election. Now, again, God elects individuals. The Bible teaches that. Ephesians 1.4, you know it. Just as he chose us, eklegomai, we get our word elect from it. Some translations say just as he elected us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world so that we should be holy and blameless. So the Calvinists would say, there it is. You see, even before you were born, before the foundation of the world, God chose some to be saved. And in choosing you, he chose others or overlooked them, some would say, to be damned. Now, if you're going to be true to Scripture and you read a verse like Ephesians 1.4, you must say, I believe in the doctrine of election. Because this verse plainly says that God chose us before the foundation of the world. The issue is not, does God elect? The issue is, on what basis does God elect? On what basis does he choose? And so words like foreknew and foreknowledge and the, the different verbals are very important. For the Calvinist, the word foreknew means to choose, to elect. But what does the word mean? Well, if you just looked up a simple definition in Webster's, as seen here on the slide, it says it means to have earlier knowledge, to know beforehand. So the common meaning of the word to foreknow is simply to know beforehand, to know something in advance of it happening. And that's true not just in English, but in Greek. And that's a good English rendering because it's actually made up of two Greek words bled together. The word pro, we get our word pre, and it means before. And the word gnosko, gnosis in English, it means knowledge. So when we speak of foreknowledge, we're speaking of to know something ahead of time. And so we use in medicine the term prognosis to describe prior knowledge to predict a course of the disease. Now, apart from Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, there are many other usages beyond dispute where the word means to have prior knowledge. Although the nation of Israel as a whole had still rejected the Messiah, there is still a remnant faithful to the Lord Jesus. 
and one day the nation will return to God and accept Jesus as Lord. If you would like to hear today's message in its entirety, download the Search the Scriptures app from the iTunes Store or Google Play Store. There you can listen to the entire Roman series. Just look up Search the Scriptures with Dr. Brogy in either of those app stores. You can also listen online at searchthescriptures.org or request a CD or DVD copy by calling us at 877-787-7478. And today's program was entitled, Has God Abandoned Israel? and is program ROM54. Tomorrow we'll continue our look at whether God has abandoned Israel as we search the scriptures. <music>